Well, for those of you guys who don't know, my name is Jess, and I am the executive pastor here at Connected NAS. Um, I get asked a lot what that means, and um, in short, basically, I take care of a lot of the kind of ins and outs, administrative type things, but also it is the care of our, our pastors and our staff and also board, um, but I do also get the privilege of preaching once in a while, um, which is really awesome, and also for those of you who don't know, um, I have been going to school for a few years, and I've been going through uh, the process of what we call ordination in the Church of the Nazarene, which is not fast. Um, <laughs> the end goal is one day I'll be ordained, hopefully in the next three years, um, <clears throat> and we'll just see what God has for me. Um, real quick, before we get started, I just wanted to make sure that you guys are aware of these little cards. There's some up here by the tithes and chest, or tithes and offering chests. Um, you can just write your name on here, your spouse's name, um, if you have a spouse, your address, all that good stuff. These are really important, and we especially have found that out in the last few weeks with all of the things we've gone through between uh, being burglarized, between the fire inspection, all kinds of different things we've needed to get a hold of people for. Um, and if we have that, then what we'll do is we will send you guys emails when you need to know important things going on in the church. Um, so that said, we are in a series right now after going through Easter, after going through Pentecost, um, we're talking about divine interventions, uh, the things that God does in our lives, the way that he shows up to ordinary people. The sermon series is actually titled, When God Interrupts Your Plans. This week we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, verses 16 through 39 specifically. And if ever there was a great story to illustrate God coming and disrupting plans, this is a really good one. Um, so we're going to be reading about a time when God interrupted the plans of people in power during the time of Elijah. Uh, so if you guys want to go ahead, you can follow along in your Bibles. You're welcome to use your U version. We always joke, though, if you're going to use it on your phone, that you got to go to Facebook and check in. That's not a joke. It's not a joke. Apparently, that's like for real and we'll kick you out. I don't, I don't know. How's that for intervention? Um, <laughs> all right. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. I just want to stop right there. I get a little confused on how to pronounce that name. I've heard it Baal. I've heard it Baal. I've heard it Baal. I will probably call it Baal just because that was the first way I ever heard it. Just... So you guys are like, what? I don't understand what she's saying. That's what I'm saying right there. Um, you have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. 
But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. I just, I'm going to stop right there for a second. I, first of all, the story is already starting off amazing. This encounter that's about to take place, Elijah is the only one of prophets. Baal has 450. So we need to keep that in mind as we're reading this story that there is one voice versus 450 that's about to go on here. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, so not to set, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response and no one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. I just love that. Like I get this image of our kids. You know what I'm talking about? When our kids, they're like, that's not fair or whatever. And they shout and you're like, shout louder. I can't hear. Anyway, that's kind of what I see. <laughs> this like kind of childish taunting that's going on over here. Um, but at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. <laughs> Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they, shout and, they shouted louder and louder. They slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. No one was home. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one from each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Israel, and Isaac, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and I have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, and, and so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. i got to keep remembering to bring this with me. I'm wearing a dress. These don't clip on to dresses super well, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> so in the time of this event, the state of Israel was definitely a very sad one. And I know Pastor JJ talked a little bit about this last week. He kind of talked a little bit actually about this very thing that took place. 
Um, but so King Ahab had a wife. Her name was Jezebel. And Jezebel definitely did worship these false gods. And there was a temple built. She also had God's people murdered. Um, it was just really bad. Um, in fact, there were very few to survive uh, Jezebel's attack. Those who did survive had to leave quickly and go into hiding, with the exception of two people, Obadiah, who ironically worked for King Ahab. He was actually one of Ahab's palace administrators. And Elijah, who was a prophet of God, the only remaining prophet in his time. So Obadiah, we learn as we read just before where we're at, that he was a good man. He was a servant of the Lord. He feared God and was faithful to him, yet he was still a steward in the house of Ahab, which definitely, you got to wonder how that happened. Earlier in the chapter, Obadiah is described as fearing the Lord greatly. He was a devout believer in the Lord. Obadiah, while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, took and hid 100 of God's people, and he supplied them with food and water. Can you imagine how scary that would be to work for someone like that? Have you guys, ever, you know who the evil queen is in Snow White? You know how she orders the murdering of Snow? Can you imagine being the henchman? And Well, he did do that. He let Snow White go. Can you imagine going back to that and dealing with and saying, oh, I hid these people over here. It took a lot of courage for Obadiah to do that. And if nothing else, we certainly learn a lot about his faith. Because while Ahab was wicked, and you would think that he would have nothing to do with Obadiah, it was because Obadiah was known to be honest and trustworthy and to have integrity that Ahab kept him around. But Obadiah would not have accepted this position if, it, if he had had to denounce God or if he had had to bend his knees to Baal. Obadiah was unwavering in his faith and devotion to the Lord. So when Jezebel cut down God's prophets, God responded by causing a crazy drought, a famine to take over the land. There was no rain, nothing was growing, and the famine would continue until Baal's prophets were sacrificed. So now we find ourselves in this great turn of events where Elijah goes to Obadiah and he says, hey, bring me King Ahab. I want to have a word with him. So Ahab comes in, he's accusing Elijah as the reason for the famine and the drought, calling him a troubler of Israel. But Elijah set things straight by telling Ahab, no, this is you and your family. You guys are the troubler of Israel. You guys have built these temples. You've been sacrificing to these other gods. That's the trouble in Israel. They were experiencing God's judgment because of their blatant disobedience. And as we read, there was this great showdown between the prophets of Baal and Elijah, who was a prophet of the one true God. This was to demonstrate to those worshipers of Baal that what they worshipped was false. I was going to, sorry, Baal. Every time I say it, I just hear a sheep. Like, I'm sorry, every time. Is anyone else thinking it? Now we are. You're welcome. Everyone is. You're welcome. <laughs> every time I say it, I'm sorry. <laughs> Elijah had two bulls ready, which the worshipers of Baal got to choose theirs first. They were ready to cut the bull into pieces and put it on the wood as a sacrifice, but they were not to set fire to the bull. That was a very specific instruction. Instead, they were to call on the name of their God to bring on the fire. And in verse 26, it says that they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. This is just to start. They actually did it all day. But from morning until noon, Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response, no answer. They danced around the altar making this big production, but still nothing. And at noon, when nothing happened, Elijah told them, shout louder. Maybe he's sleeping. He's on vacation. I'm sure he's there. Just keep going. Come on. 
can, I, just, I just picture this thing, and you know that he thought this was hysterical, watching these people act all these ways. Um, so he taunted them as they frantically prophesied, maybe he's sleeping, maybe he's deep in thought, <laughs> maybe he's traveling. Finally, evening came and it was time for the evening sacrifice, but there was still no response. No one answered and no one paid attention. So Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord that had been taken down as sacrifice to this false god. He used the 12, 12 stones to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he dug a trench around the altar. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. He instructed the people to fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Then he instructed to do it two more times. So three times total he did this, that he doused it with water. Elijah stepped forward and prayed, and then the fire of the Lord fell, uh, fell down and not only burned up the sacrifice, but it burned up the wood, the stones, the soil, and even devoured the water that was in the trench. There was no need for all that theatrics, really. The water, that was just because Elijah wanted to prove how ridiculous this is, that this for sure is God, because not only, this was no lucky thing, because water, I don't know if you know this or not, when wood soaked with water, it's not going to burn, right? You got to let your wood dry out a little bit before it burns. So this is just this crazy thing that's happening. So Elijah steps forward and he prays, the fire fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and devoured the water in the trench. And at this, the people finally cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And as I prepared for this sermon, um, I've actually been preparing for this sermon for a really long time now. Uh, it was only within the last couple of weeks that I realized I was going to be doing this today. But God had revealed to me the many, many ways that I and other Christians are no different than the prophets of Baal. Because what if I told you that likely you and I each still have idols? What if I told you that we have things that we turn to, things like alcohol, things like drugs, inappropriate relationships, excessive shopping, obsessing over our appearance? These are all things that we think are going to help us in whatever it is we're dealing with, so we turn to them instead of God. We dive in head first. They seem to help a little bit, at least at first, but then you know the feeling starts to wear off a little bit, so it takes a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, and before we know it, we can't stop ourselves. We're in too deep. These things that we turn to, whatever it might be, it's different for everyone. They're idols. And just like the prophets of Baal, we think, let me just take a sip of alcohol. Let me just drink a little bit. That'll cure my pain. That'll take away whatever it is I'm feeling, whatever it is I can't face. Just a little bit. Just a little bit of drugs. We think things, if I could just be with this person, if I could feel that close connection, that's going to take away my loneliness. That's going to take care of my desire to feel loved. I'll feel satisfied. I won't feel broken or empty anymore. But these are all idols. They are things that just like the prophets of Baal, we stand before ripping our clothing, cutting ourselves and bleeding and crying and screaming out to hear me. We say things like, just come on. We don't actually maybe shout them out, but we do it with our action, right? Come on, alcohol, come on. If only I could just have this one thing, I wouldn't feel this way anymore. Whatever it is that we're turning to, it's not God, and we're turning it to it to save us. So insert the name of whatever it is, but we're no different than those who stood there screaming, to whom Elijah said, scream a little bit louder. 
Cut yourselves a little bit deeper, will you? Because I don't think he can hear you. He must be sleeping. Maybe he took the day off. Contrast that with the actions of Elijah. Starting in verse 30 and going through verse 36. I'm going to just reread that for you. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again and do it again. Water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Elijah knew the one true God. Do you guys think by Elijah's actions that he was surprised when he called upon God's name and he answered? He knew what was going to happen. Elijah stood there full of faith and simply stated in two sentences, basically bring it on. And the fire came and burned up the sacrifice and everything around it. We as people, I heard this at Elevate recently. I want to just share it with you guys. Um, the speaker that was there, his name was Stretch, which I realize is a weird name. But um, if you met him, you'd be like, oh, I totally get it. It works for him. It wouldn't work for anyone else, but it works for him. Um, he was talking about how over and over again in Scripture, we see this pattern, right? We see this pattern of obedience and disobedience, of following and then turning away. He talked about how we are incredibly forgetful individuals. We are an incredibly forgetful creation. We kind of wander away over here a little bit, and God taps on our shoulder, reminds us to come back. Oh, oh, that's right, I forgot, it's better over here. And then we kind of wander away again, and he calls us back, and we come back. We do tend to be a very forgetful people for whatever reason. And despite the warnings, we continue to come back to our idols. We keep coming back to our gods. We keep going to things that are going to save us or to people that are going to save us. But we are called to live a different life in Christ, a life of devotion to the Lord alone, a life of holiness and righteousness. Paul wrote in a letter to the Colossians, found in chapter 3, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. He goes on to list things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which he compares to idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in those ways in the life you once lived, but that is not what we are called to live as any longer. Put to death things like sexual immorality, impurity, 
lust, evil desires, and greed. These things can't save us. Why then do we have such a tendency to put our faith and trust in them? Are we fully relying on God or are we relying on these other things? They can't save us. No matter how hard we try, they can't save us. No matter how deep you go in it, no matter how much you indulge, they will never work. And in fact, they will certainly lead us to our ultimate demise. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. That is not the way that we are called to walk. I do want to address one thing. As as God really put this on my heart to talk about today, um, when we talk about things like sexual immorality, we can really get hung up on a couple of things, can't we? Um, one of the big buzzwords is homosexuality today. That seems to be the thing that we think of the most when we think of sexual immorality. But that certainly isn't the only thing that we're supposed to put to death. There are many other things. In fact, as I was preparing this week and I was thinking about all these idols, these things that we set before us that we think are going to save us, make us feel better, whatever it might be, I started to ask the question, how many professing people of the way indulge in watching videos or other images of ex- with explicit content. There is an astounding number of Christians, people who confess with their mouths that they love Jesus, that they deny their fleshly desires, that allow themselves to be entertained by novels or films that are full of inappropriate content. How many men and women that claim Jesus is Lord fill their minds with fantasies, who think on things that if anyone could hear their thoughts, they would be ashamed, yet they allow it. And this is what James tells us gives birth to sin. It starts with our minds, with our thoughts. We have this thought, and instead of taking it captive and holding it obedient to Christ, we let it play out a little bit. We let it, we give it a little bit of kindling and just say, wait a minute, I want to see where this is going to go, thinking that it's harmless. But it starts to grow, and if we allow it, it turns into a burning desire and becomes a very real temptation. The sad thing is, unfortunately, that if we don't stop it at the source, which is the thought, the original thought, then we are enticed and we are led to sin. And it all starts with our thoughts. But we are called to live differently, to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to our earthly nature. I was thinking a lot about what that means, to put to death. And, of course, Star Wars came to mind. And (laughs) there's a scene where Kylo Ren says that you've you've got to put the past to death. And he says you've got to kill it if you have to. Put to death. This isn't just talking about hiding it in a box, putting it away for later, burying it deep down, but to actually kill it, put it to death, and no longer allow those things to ever have mastery over you, to not even give in to them. Don't go back to them ever. Not because works save us, but because we're not truly free until we no longer live in those ways, until those things no longer have a grip on our lives. We are not free. God wants to set us free, to get us to stop worshiping at the feet of idols like worry and fear. And by the way, let me just tell you, I am preaching to myself this morning, okay? So I don't want you to feel like I'm standing here wagging a finger, pointing it at you guys, because a lot of these apply to myself. I am full of worry and fear and anxiety a lot, and I have to constantly surrender those things. But there are so many other things we do. We kind of worship at the feet of comfort, don't we? We don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't want to do the things that are hard. 
We sometimes get really worried and start worshiping at the feet of housing or rituals or belongings. Funny enough, this housing thing on here, um, for those of you guys that don't know, Matt and I are going to be moving not, not far away. We're staying in Carson. We rent, and we just found out yesterday that um, our landlord's going to sell. It's no big deal. It's going to be fine. Everything is good. But at the same time, because I'm human, there was this side of me that panicked a little bit. And what's really funny is I had wrote this way before I knew anything was happening with our house. So that's why I'm kind of giggling a little bit at the housing one. Um, but we worship at the feet of belongings or relationships or worldly, wis worldly wisdom, on power, on our way, on our rights, on evil desires, impurity, greed, sexual gratification, uh, approval, social media, whatever it might be. These are all things that we tend to find ourselves worshiping at the feet of, whether we even realize it or not. And they are idols if we give them power. These are things that we have to surrender, that we need to fall on our faces and repent and say, Lord, I am sorry that I put anybody in the position of Lord, that I put anything in the position over you. The first commandment was to love the Lord your God and worship him only. That's it. But the war against our flesh is not a passive thing. This, is, this takes hard work. It is constant, intentional surrender. But in order to surrender something, we have to be aware of what we have to surrender. We have to be mindful of our idols in order to gain victory over them. And this is a fight that we can't win on our own strength, but by the strength and intercession of the Holy Spirit. In a letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12.9, if you guys want to follow along, Paul said of Jesus, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Where we are weak, he is strong. So we should boast in our weakness because it is in our weakness that we are led to a full reliance on God, which is right where we ought to be. Something that gets misquoted a lot is that God will never give you more than you can handle. And I very much have found that to be opposite of true. God gives us all kinds of things that we can't handle. But he gives us nothing that he can't handle. And I'm reminded of when Jesus said, I am bread. I am water. You need nothing more than everything that I have to offer. So we have to make a choice here. We can stand and we can continue to drink a little more, party a little harder, seek out relationships, shop, do everything we can think of to fill our voids, but they will never be enough. We will always be standing there at the end of it all, empty-handed, with nothing to show for it. We are always going to be disappointed by the things or by the people that we set as idols in our lives. Our only answer is God. And what better time to learn this lesson than right now? So let's remember that and be careful to walk in that way so that we don't have to be reminded in those painful ways like the prophets of Baal had to be reminded when they were cut down. Guys, Israel made this mistake a lot. Let's learn from it. Let's finally learn from the mistakes of those that have gone before us and break the cycle because there is only one true God and there is no saving power except the power of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. There is no saving power except the power of Jesus Christ. There is no substitute. There is nothing else we can chase. There's nothing else that's ever going to be able 
to save. We should be turning to God's word as our first line of defense. When we're feeling sad, when we're feeling lonely, when we feel empty, when we feel broken, when we're believing the lies that are whispered to us that we're not good enough, whatever it is that we're trying to fix, we should be turning to God's word for reminders and so that we are ready to fight this battle. We sing songs like Your Great Name that literally talk about the power of God that he alone can save. We talk about that he can cast out demons, that the fatherless find their rest. Do we believe what we're singing, though? Do we really believe that it's Christ alone? Or do we rely on ourselves, on money, on our looks, or on our talents, or on lucky items? How many, how many people do we know that actually have that? I know some that have items that they won't get rid of because they bring them luck or they'll, or they'll bring them something. And I'm not talking about like just a funny, silly little thing, but there's really people that actually do have those items they can't get rid of. Whatever it might be, who or what are we putting our faith in? So the band is going to come back up here and we're going to move into connecting time. Really this time is an opportunity for reflection and contemplation. And as we intentionally enter into this time with God, where we allow him to search us, where we allow him to show us all the ways that we need to change, I want to leave you guys with this challenge, that you would take the time this morning to just sincerely ask God. And not just this morning, but that this morning might just begin the journey because this will be a lifelong process of ridding and filling up with the Holy Spirit. But ask him, what idols have I set before you? What have I been turning to? What things, Lord, are in my life that I need to surrender, that I need to give up? We have different stations that you can participate in as we go into connecting time. Up here we have our chest where we give of our tithes and offering. And we do that during this part of our service intentionally because we believe that it is an intentional act of worship. It's something that we do to say thank you. It's a way that we trust God with one of our most, well, most relied on possessions, really. Back here we have candles that you can light. There's nothing magical that happens when you light a candle, but there is something powerful about just being reminded how little light it takes to snuff out the darkness. Over here we have a cross where you can go and you can write down something you're struggling with. Hopefully today, that's whatever God is revealing to you that you need to surrender and that you'll nail it to the cross, signifying that you are giving it up, that you're laying it at his feet. But remember, we're supposed to put it to death. Not take it back out and carry it with us out those doors, but to put it to death. Give it up for forever. We'll also have communion up here if you guys want to just come and participate in that. Whatever it is that you want to do, but I just want to ask that whatever it is you've been hanging on to for far too long, whatever object, experience, or person, or thing that you need to surrender this morning, that you would take the time right now to prayerfully consider it and that you would give it up. God is choosing right now to remind us that he alone is God, to stop us in our tracks. This is our intervention. 
This is God intervening in the everyday lives of ordinary people. So what are we going to do? Are we going to give it up? You guys can go ahead and come as we sing these last couple of songs. Speak. 
Although I do have a microphone. That really is the truth. It was more about seeing than hearing. In all fairness, the music stand still. I know. Let's make some more short jokes real quick. <laughs> um, Christ alone is the source of our strength, of our hope, of our healing, of our joy, and of our peace. If we search for it anywhere else, we're going the wrong way. It's why we need to be in the Word daily, reading about what happened so we can remember it, so we can be reminded, and so that we're prepared, armed and ready to fight the battle against our, our worldly nature. So as you guys go today, upon the abandonment of false gods, whatever it is that you've been hung up on, I just pray that you guys would go in the anticipation of re receiving the true strength, of receiving the true healing, the true joy, and true peace that is only found in Christ, who is the one true God. Don't forget, we do have the rapid response team meeting after this. If you think that you might be interested in serving in that capacity, it's not going to be very long. We're thinking probably 15 minutes. It's just informational. So you guys can kind of figure out what is this rapid response team thing that we're doing. Um, otherwise, I hope you guys have a fantastic week and don't stop that journey. Don't stop.